Um, today we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, and today we're talking about laboring in love. And I just want to read, read you a passage of scripture before we get into that, and almost pray, pray this over us as a fellowship. Um, from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 19, it's a passage probably familiar with lots of you. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. My prayer is that today, as God's people here, that we have power, it says in verse 18, to grasp the gravity of the love of Christ. How high, how deep, how wide, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. That's my prayer for us today, is that we get a small glimpse of that today. If you've never experienced that amazing love, the height, the depth, the breadth of that love of Jesus, my prayer is today that you experience that. If you've experienced that before, but you felt like you've not, that's not touched you for a long time, my prayer is today that you get touched by the love of Jesus through the power of his spirit today. I'm going to pray, I'm going to look into God's word and then see what he's got for us today. Father, we thank you and praise you for all that you're doing amongst us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here in this place. I pray that you would just soften our hearts to hear from you today. I pray that you would just help us to put away the busyness of our lives, of our, of our roast chicken dinner or whatever we've got on for the rest of the day. We might be able to park that to one side and have soft hearts and listening ears today. Holy Spirit, we pray. We thank you so much for Camille and Eustace. We thank you for their faithfulness. Their heart, as they just shared, their heart for the people of Lithuania. We thank you how you've raised them up, Lord. We thank you that we've been able to be just a small part of that and able to continue just to be a small part of that. We thank you how they're not really worried so much about what's going on and that they haven't got everything figured out, but are just willing just to step out in faith, whatever that looks like. We thank you for their generosity and their hospitality and just inviting people into their home to live with them, Lord. Lord, it's clear that that love that we've just spoken about just pours out from, from their hearts. And I pray, Lord, today that as we look into your word, Holy Spirit, would you just... Pour that love out into our hearts today, maybe for the first time, maybe, maybe re renewing that relationship with you today, Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just touch us. You would break us if that's what you need to do. You would move us out of the way. But Lord, I pray that you would just move amongst us, either in this building or online or wherever, wherever this is being watched, we pray today. We know you're not limited by our geography. You're not limited to one place. 
You're not limited to this, to this building on a Sunday morning, but you're at work in, in our neighborhoods, in our families every day of the week. Might be, we be praying and seeking just to join you in, join in with you where you're already at work. Yes, Lord Jesus, we love you. Might we just get a glimpse of how much you love us and continue to do so day by day, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and read those few verses in Philippians. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 there through to the end of the chapter. And Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news, news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for you all and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him also only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So we're talking about laboring with love this morning. And obviously when we think about working for Jesus, we think about laboring for, for Jesus. We think about doing stuff like this, don't we? Or maybe doing stuff like the guys at the back or like the worship team or, or perhaps leading a ministry or maybe teaching in junior church. That's kind of where we go to, isn't it? We think people who work for Jesus, that sort of thing. But if we think about it, we've been talking over the last few weeks at the end goal of our discipleship, and I was talking to some this, someone this week, and we were using a, a helpful word, word to understand that. And if you want to use, if you want to think of it more like a, a, being apprenticed to Jesus. So the end goal of our apprenticeship to Jesus is to love as Jesus did. Now you might think, well, that's a bit wishy-washy, isn't it? Where's... Where's the, the hard doctrine in that statement? Where's the, where's, the, where's the creedal statement there? And the reality is often when we speak this way, when we understand that the end goal of my life lived following Jesus is to love as he did, 
The reality is that makes us a bit uncomfortable. Because if we look how Jesus lived, if we look how Jesus loved, that should make us uncomfortable if we're called to emulate that. And we, we think it's too hard and, and, and too reckless to live a life like that. We sing a song, don't we, Reckless Love. And there's been people around that have, that have, have critiqued the words there. And Christ is not reckless, but he shares his love with reckless abandon. In spite of who you are, in spite of what you may have done, in spite of where you, where you might be on your relationship with him. And this love with complete abandon, with no thought of, for self-preservation or thought what it might cost us, is the end goal of our apprenticeship to Lord, our Lord Jesus. And it's the love that's willing to experience personal pain and loss. We see here in this passage of Epaphroditus, he, he almost died for the work of Christ. But we get a glimpse of this guy here. He almost died for the work of Christ, but he wasn't really concerned with his welfare. He was worried that the church at Philippi were worried about him. Did you pick that up in that passage here? So not only was he going out and he might have had some accident or he got sick or whatever, but his love was so deep and so strong for his fellow believers that he was worried that they were worried for him. He was worried that his, his, his circumstance was causing them undue anxiety. He wasn't really concerned for himself. And it's that love, that love that we work together with, that love that we co-labor with alongside each other, that love that we're called to share, to, to love each other with, that I want to talk about primarily today. I'd like to thank Tom for bringing the message last week to us on Mother's Day. That was a real blessing. And if you're a regular here, can you pray with us as a leadership team for Tom? We're praying at, for Tom as he finishes his, his, his degree course at the end of May. Um, we've really um, seen that God's been at work in his life, not only here on a Sunday morning, but in lots of ways that you guys would never, ever see. So we're just looking and praying at the moment to see what that looks like for him post his degree here with us in Bethel. He feels called to this place. He feels called to Coventry, even though... He, He's from the south in Canterbury. Got all these southerners keep migrating north. There must be something about that. Lots of people in our fellowship have migrated north, but hey, I don't know why. Um, lots of us want to migrate south to the coast, perhaps. And we've also got some northerners, northerners that, have come, that have come south as well, haven't we? Yeah, we have. It just brings everyone in. But pray with us as a leadership team, and we'll, we'll be um, talking more about that in the coming weeks and months. But thank you, Tom, for that. It was a real blessing last week. So as we look here in, in the first verse that we read in, first, in Philippians 2.19, we see Paul's attitude and how Paul views his, his fellow believers. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Paul, in, in lots of his epistles, demonstrates this longing, this deep sense of longing for the, his fellow believers. This genuine love and care it wasn't fake, it wasn't just words, but a deep, meaningful love. And this is how we should be with each other. Oftentimes when Paul writes, he, 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 he writes longingly, I, I want to come back to see you again because not that I can put you straight, not that I can put you right, not that I can... 
I can tell you where you've been wrong. And some of his letters deal with some of that. But he wants to be back with them because they have that deep sense of longing for them, that deep sense of love and care. He wants to send, send someone back to them so he can hear about how they're doing because he, 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 he worries about them. He cares for them deeply. This is really our example of how we should be with one another, isn't it? That deep-seated sense of love and care that actually, I've not seen you guys for a couple of weeks. Are you okay? Actually, you've not been able to, you've not been able to connect with us in person. Uh, how are you getting on? Are you, are you able to connect with us online? Uh, I've not seen you for a while. Can, I, can, I, can, we, can we set up a call so we can pray together? We saw in, in early on in the chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, where, where Paul sort of laid out almost this blueprint for church. And he says in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the main, same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we talked about that in our introduction, how, how we're called to love as Jesus loved. That's got to start here. That's got to start amongst God's people. How can we be a light to the broken, dark, and dark world around us if we don't love like that first here? If I don't love you like that? If I don't care for you in that way? And we saw when we were in our, in, in our, in our series in, in Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, towards the end of verse 7 there, Paul says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because we loved you so much, that, that, that sense of care that a mother has for a newborn child, as Paul says, this is how we loved you. That sense of care that for a mother, for a newborn child, that would, that would, that would take a tank for it if they needed to. That sense, actually, it's not about my self-preservation. It's about, it's about loving each other with complete abandon at all costs. And Jesus said, isn't he, that's how the world will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. But this is the depth of, of that love that he calls us to have for each other. And I, we, we can't love like, I can't love like this. If over a Sunday dinner I'm gossiping about you, if, if, if I have a critical heart towards you because you don't think or act like I do, or actually because your doctrine doesn't quite match with mine. Because God's bigger than all of that, isn't he? I, I, I can't love like this if I hold a grudge against someone because of something they once said to me that really bothers me still. And to move forward and, and, and to be in that place where we can love each other with complete abandon, where we can love each other that deeply, it's got to involve forgiveness. Forgiveness from God for, for, for my actions or reactions towards people, but also forgiveness from that person. Do you know that? It's easy if I, if I wrong someone, or, or, or even if I, they don't know if I've got, a, if, I, if, I have a, 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 if I'm thinking things about them which aren't honouring him, it's easy for me to ask forgiveness from God, isn't it? But what if we, we, we took that to a next level? What if we took that to the next level where, where not only do I ask forgiveness from God, I go to that person and say, will you, will you forgive me? I was harbouring these thoughts about you. 
will you forgive me when you challenged me, challenged me about that? I, I, really wasn't, I was really uncomfortable with that, and I, I wasn't thinking very good of you. I read a little book, it's a really thin book, it's written in the 50s, called Continuous Revival, by a guy from, with an unassuming name called Norman Grubb. Almost like a nursery rhyme, isn't it? In the 80s, you used to get these, these, these people going around in... I can't remember the song. I'm sure it fits in there somewhere. Someone who's older than me, I'll be able to, I'll be able to get that. But this guy called Norman Grubb, and he says, he experienced this firsthand. He was, in, he was working in Eastern Africa, and there was a church, and they were having a worship service and a worship time, and there was a translator. And this guy was translating to English for the, for the benefit of the people that were there who were in English. And someone pulled him up on something that he, his translation was a bit off. Before the service is finished, this translator from the platform says, Johnny, I need to ask your forgiveness because when you, did, when you said that to me, I harbored ill thoughts towards you. That's powerful. That's real life asking forgiveness. And I would counter until we get to that point as God's people together. This is important. It's got to start here. Until we can get that to that point with one another, we really don't understand the depth of God's love for us. The depth of his forgiveness for us time and time and time and time again. Now, if we weren't all so stoically British, I might say, let's pause and let's do that right now, here. But I think we'd all be clinging and holding onto our seats, maybe shuffling around. But actually, imagine if we practiced, imagine if we practiced that as a group of God's people. Imagine. And, 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 you know, God tells us to forgive, but it's not just a commandment because he wants us to do it, because actually he knows that when we do forgive, it actually brings restoration and wholeness to ourselves as well. He knows when I'm not bearing a grudge against someone anymore, when I can release that and ask his forgiveness and ask their forgiveness that it brings complete restoration and fellowship with them and with him. And that's uncomfortable. Because that cuts deep, doesn't it? But when Jesus talks about love, that's how deep he's talking about. My prayer is that somehow we get a glimpse of how, how high and deep and why the, the, the love of God really, really is for us. And that deep, loving, supernatural connection, I use that word because this otherworldly connection we can have with each other when we do that is so countercultural. It's so countercultural. The world out there needs to see us, not just sat in here, but when we're out in there in, in, in the community, when we're at the school gates, when we're at work, when we're at school, they need to be see, see something so different about us that it's contagious. And if we're not living that here, we're not living that there. So we've seen here Paul has this, this love that almost hurts where he, he, can't, he can't wait to hear about how they're getting on. And then we see that how we, we see with Timothy how love that stands out. In verse 20, Paul writes, I have, he says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself 
because as some with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the law that I myself will come soon. Timothy here, he stood out from the crowd. Paul says here, I have no one else like him. I have no one else like him. Verse 27, he says, for everyone looks out for their own interest. He didn't say for all the heathen unbelievers who don't come to church. He said for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy was Paul's apprentice, wasn't he? He knew him, he trusted him. And as he, as he journeyed with Paul, Timothy really stood out. He was a friend, he was a co-laborer for the sake of the gospel. And he talks about this relationship that Paul talks about in other places. And he says, as a son with his father in the work of the gospel. And this is why we need to really understand what discipleship really is. Okay? And we've talked about this a lot. And it's not really difficult. So let's, if we think of an apprentice. I used to work in the jewelry quarter. I used to work for a company. We used to supply equipment to jewelers and other kind of ancillary industries as well. One of our customers, there was this gun maker in Birmingham called Wesley Richards. So if you're a landed gentry or something like that, and you want to go shoot your, your pigeons or your grouse or whatever on your land or something like that, you would go to Wesley Richards for a, a pair, they always come in pairs, I've no idea, of handmade guns. Okay? A pair of handmade guns. And these handmade guns would probably cost you in region of 20 to 50,000 pounds for, for a couple of guns. This is, this, is, this is the thing they were doing. So this was handmade precision stuff they were, they were making. And we used to supply some small equipment to them because being involved in the jewelry industry stuff is little and they, they would need some precision stuff. And I was in their, in their, in their place in Birmingham once and the, 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 the um, production supervisor, he was showing me around. He showed me a bench where the apprentices go. And if you've ever done an apprenticeship yourself, you'll probably know that this is kind of how it works. He said, what we do for the first two weeks, we give them the hunk of steel and we tell them to file it square. And he said, it drives them crazy. They're there and they kind of get, and they come down and before they know it, they've got none left and they still haven't got a square or a cube. And he says, after that two weeks, some of them give up and they leave. And this is kind of the induction for the apprentice. They get them stuck in the deep end with tools they may not have used before. They said, file this into a cube, perfect cube. And they get so frustrated. And some of them, they, they, they stick with it and they go with it. But actually, for, in Wesley Richards, it, the apprenticeship is seven years, depending on which, which area of the company you're going to be into. So they've got stock makers, the ones who have the bit that goes into the shoulder if it's a bigger gun. They've got the barrel makers. They've got, they've got the people who make the, bits go, the other bits that go in there. I'm not very technical. And, and then they've got the, the engravers, the people who are the real artists that engrave scenes on there that would just blow your mind. But an apprenticeship is seven years. But in that seven-year time, if you've been in an apprenticeship yourself, you'll know this. In that seven-year time, they don't just stand there next to someone else watching them work, making notes, writing lots of things down, writing down lots of ideas, and never actually picking up a tool and doing something. In an apprenticeship, you are doing that. You're learning. You're, you're learning from the more experienced person. But then you're also you're cracking on and doing stuff with it as well. 
Then after that seven years, you're then, you're then at a stage where, where you're qualified, you're a master craftsman in that industry, or you're a master engraver. And at that stage, you're then qualified to, to have your own apprentice yourself. This is how discipleship is supposed to work. We're not just supposed to take in all this information, write it all down, have loads of notebooks full of stuff, have a library full of books, but never do anything with it. It's useless. It's pointless. Our discipleship has to drive us, or our apprenticeship to King Jesus has to drive us into action. Because if you were at Wesley Richards and you acted like that, then you'd have been out on your ear really, really quickly. So we see how Timothy wasn't just a head knowledge, it wasn't just a knowledge of theology and doctrine and the right way to say things and, 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 a, and a good way to put things across. Paul says, I have no one else like him. No one else like him who looks out for the interests of Christ. There's a contrast here in Philippians. Philippians 2.21, it says, that everyone looks out for their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.21, Paul's saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to suggest something here to you that we're either living in 121 or 221. We're either living like Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, complete abandon to King Jesus, or we're living in 21 where we're looking out for our own interests, not his. There's no great, we, we like to make gray areas because it makes us feel comfortable and gives us places to hide. God doesn't have gray areas. He said, you're either with me or you're against me. And that's challenging, isn't it? So we've seen Paul, how he had that love that hurts. He just really so deeply loved his fellow believers. He couldn't wait to hear about them. We've seen that love that stands out with Timothy. And then we see here, as we bring this to a close, how Epaphroditus loves at all costs. Paul continues in verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for you all and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him, in, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So we see that the church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to help Paul, and now we see Paul's heartfelt desire to send him home. And he has some language here. He says he's a co-worker, a fellow soldier, your messenger, and we think of soldier, don't we? And we think of soldier within Christianity. So we might think of some 1970s Sunday school songs, perhaps, with funny actions and marching and stuff like that, depending on which flavor of Christianity you came from. You might think of the Jesus army and maybe stuff like that. But we don't often use that language anymore, do we? In Paul's letters to Timothy himself, he tells him to 
fight the good fight, to fight the battle well. We've often said, haven't we, and it's a, this is an, uh, an illustration that Keith is given lots of times, we're either on a cruise ship or a warship, and as believers, we should be on a warship battle ready. Romans 7.23 says that we're in a battlefield. We're continually waging war in our minds. We need to understand that your thoughts and my thoughts, that, that, that's what shapes our lives. What you think is who you are. So we need to focus my heart, we need to focus our hearts and minds. And it's no good just wishing to change something. That happens every, every January where we all say, I'm going to eat less chocolate. And then you realise you've got 20 bars left over from Christmas. I'm just going to eat those first, that's okay. And then you've got through those. And the, oh, it's Easter's next, isn't it? I'll just get through Easter and then I'll go out and chocolate. And then we're all a bit fed up because of lockdown and someone says, oh, can we have a treat? Can you just want to go to the shop and get some chocolate? So we eat more chocolate. Just saying it isn't going to make a difference. We have to actively do something about it. We have to actively allow God to renew our minds, allowing him to saturate us with his truth. Epaphroditus here, he almost died. And as we said earlier, he was worried that others were upset. What an example of love that's not self-seeking. He wasn't concerned for himself. He was only looking out to the interests of others. And that's counterintuitive. And this isn't correct theological terminology, but I like to, in my head, describe this as the upside-down logic of Jesus. Because it's so upside-down to what, we, what our immediate reaction is. It's so upside-down to what the world around us tells us we should think or act or how we should behave. Everything that goes against our human instinct... Our human instinct doesn't tell me that I should forgive you when I feel wronged by you. It tells me I should put you in your place and tell you how you were wrong. Because then that will make me feel good because then I'm in control. But that doesn't bring about peace or joy in my heart. What brings those things, those fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians is actually when I relinquish that. And I feel that restoration of fellowship not only with God but with, with that person as well. And this is the only place that we'll find true joy and peace, is living a life, looking out for the interests of others rather than ourselves. And we see here Epaphroditus, he almost died for the sake of the gospel. We see how he, would, he loved at all costs, whatever it took. So we've seen here how Paul loved so much that it hurt. We've seen how Timothy's love stood out. And we've seen how Epaphroditus loved at all costs. Let me go back to the passage that I read at the very beginning. Philippians 3.16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be fulfilled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why don't we pray? Father, we just want to thank you and praise you that you are such an amazing God who loves us without limit, who loves us with abandon. You've shown us in your word how we are to love each other, how we are to love our neighbour, how, how we're called to be so counterculturally different to everyone else around us and how we say and how we act and how we love. We thank you for the example of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus that we've seen today. How they loved so much it hurt. How, how their love stood out and how they loved it all costs. Might we be a people here today who begin to do that more fully? Might we be a people here today who, who because we love like this, more fully reflect you, Jesus, and our lives with one another, in our homes, Lord, in our families, with our children, with our grandchildren, with our spouses, with our friends, with our uncles, with our aunties, with our grandparents, whatever it might be, Lord with those closest to us, we might just reflect you better. I pray, Lord, that we would just be so counterculturally different in that, that it stops people dead in their tracks. That love that, that we, as we looked at the love you had in the book of Ruth, that Hesed love, that makes you stop and wonder, why would they do that? Why would you do that, Jesus? Why would you love us so much? And I pray that that love that's been poured out in our hearts by your spirit would just spring to life. Be like a river flowing from us, Lord, and we might see new life brought as a result of that. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, would you continue to move? Would you continue to speak to us? Would you continue to guide us as we continue in worship this morning? We ask this in your name, King Jesus. Amen.